Praise the Lord. This is Philip Del Rey bringing you a message based on the Titanic disaster in 1912, entitled The Titanic and the Church. In 1912, for the West at least, it was an unprecedented opportunity of growth. The world was changing rapidly, technology was exploding. It was a period of great optimism and great prosperity. Tens of thousands of people were streaming into America from Europe by boat in search of the American dream. One of the advances in technology was shipbuilding. Men were building bigger and faster ships capable of carrying more and more cargo and more people and ultimately becoming more profitable. It was in 1907 that a man by the name of J. Bruce Ismay, who was the managing director of the White Star Line, and a man by the name of Lord William Perry, chairman of the shipbuilder Harland and Wolfe, met for dinner in London, England. Their goal was to build the largest, most exclusive, luxurious cruise ship that had ever been built. It would, at the time, be the largest moving man-made object ever made. It took 11,000 men working day and night over four years to build. It was almost three football fields in length, which is almost as tall as the Sears Tower. It was 12 stories high, and it weighed 45,000 tons. It was the first ship in the world to have a swimming pool and elevators. It had a gymnasium, tennis courts, saunas, and Turkish baths. The fireplace in the first-class smoking room was made of mahogany and pearl inlay. The first-class suites had marble toilets, private enclosed promenades, and nearly a dozen different styles of staterooms. This ship was designed to be the epitome of luxury and safety. Her name was the HMS Titanic. Shipbuilder magazine did a story on the Titanic's construction and raved that about its state-of-the-art safety, safety features, and they said that it was practically unsinkable. It had 16 watertight compartments built in the bottom with watertight doors that could be, <laughs> could be closed at the flip of a switch. So even if it hit something head-on, the idea was that if two or three or four of these compartments could be closed, then the ship would still float. So it was designed and believed to be unsinkable. In fact, so sure were the ship's owners of Titanic's safety and invulnerability, they refused the suggestion of the designers to include 48 lifeboats, which would have been enough for every man, woman, child on board. But lifeboats are unsightly, and they take up a lot of space that could be used for recreational purposes for the passengers. I have to believe that, perhaps subconsciously, 
that modern man was beginning to think that he could literally overcome the forces of nature. He was deifying himself, not unlike the Tower of Babel all over again. Man was beginning to think that he was in reach of solving his own problems. Well, if you're a Christian, you know that man will never solve his own problems because man is the problem. As a side note, that reminds me of a quote I heard from um, Ted Turner, who once said, I believe that man is basically good. I just can't understand why we treat each other like this. Well, man will never solve his own problems because man is the problem. Anyway, the word on the Titanic was, eventually, before it sailed, that God himself could not sink the ship. Well, that's interesting because in Galatians 6-7 it says, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. It also says God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. When Titanic sailed from Ireland where it was built on April 3rd, it sailed to Southampton, England, where it was prepared for its maiden voyage from England to New York City. Now, this was the grandest party that had ever been planned in the history of the world. The Titanic carried 30,000 bottles of liquor, 15,000 bottles of beer, 75,000 pounds of meat, 25,000 pounds of poultry, and 2,000 pounds of coffee and tea. The hopes and the dreams of thousands of men and women and children were on board that ship. The entire industrialized world watched in utter amazement as this was man's finest hour, the crown of man's creation. Proverbs 16.18 says, Pride goes before a destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. When the Titanic arrived in Southampton, England, it could not have come at a better time. There was apparently a coal strike, which had devastated the town economically, which in turn crippled the shipping trade. White Star, the company that owned Titanic, had to borrow coal from every one of its other ships to fill the needed 650 tons of coal needed to run her 150 boilers. Every unemployed seaman in Southampton, England, applied for a position on board the Titanic. 898 people were hired to run it. It was on April 10th, 1912, that the big day arrived. The Titanic sailed for New York City, fully intending to break all of its own company's speed records across the Atlantic, and its goal was to arrive in New York City in record time. They wanted to make a name for themselves, again, just like Babylon but four days into her maiden voyage, she faced a disaster so terrible that for a time, the world was brought to its knees. It seems that the winter of 1912 had been unseasonably warm, 
and a large number of icebergs had broken off from the coast of Greenland and were drifting toward the North Atlantic shipping lanes. On April 12th, two days into the voyage, the Titanic's wire room received a message from a French liner warning of a large field of ice directly in her path. The fourth officer calculated that was, it was well to the north and presented no danger. Between April 12th and April 14th, the Titanic received at least eight telegrams from other ships warning them of a large field of icebergs. I was reminded of Proverbs 27.12, which says, A wise man sees danger and avoids it, but the simple continue on and are punished. The men in the wireless rooms were very busy sending and receiving private messages for the first-class passengers, which contained the latest news and stock market reports. These private messages, as it turns out, was a source of income for the owners, and that is how they paid for the wireless officers. Consequently, the private messages took precedence over other ships sending in things like weather reports, and those things were posted at their convenience. The stock market was doing very well, and many of the aristocrats were planning on building bigger barns to store their worldly wealth. Jesus asks the question, What would it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lost his own soul? As for the captain of the ship, Captain Smith, he had more immediate concerns. It seems his boss, J. Bruce Ismay, was on board and was pressing the captain to arrive in New York City in good time in order not only to get a convenient docking time but for maximum publicity in the morning paper. The mindset of Mr. Ismay was, quote, it would be good for public relations if we could break the speed record of our sister ship, close quote. Throughout the day of Sunday, April 14th, the wire room received six more warnings of icebergs approximately 80 miles ahead, directly in the ship's path. The next to the last warning came from another ship called the Masaba. The Masaba gave the exact coordinates of the ice fields, and the Titanic was heading directly towards it. At 10.21 p.m., the Californian, bound for Boston, entered the same ice field, and the captain brought the Californian to a complete stop. He decided to wait until the next morning to assess the situation before going on. At 11 o'clock... The wireless officer, <clears throat> Cyril Evans, broke into the Titanic's transmission with this message, We're stopped, surrounded by ice. Jack Phillips, the wireless officer of the Titanic, wired back and said literally, Shut up, shut up, I'm busy. Well, it worked. At 11.35, the wireless officer from the Californian switched off his headset and went to bed. Meanwhile, up in the crow's nest of the Titanic, lookouts Frederick Fleet and Reginald Lee were watching and waiting incredibly. 
They were up there without any binoculars. At 11.40 p.m., 25-year-old Frederick Fleet spotted a huge object dead ahead and growing larger by the second. Frantically telephoning the bridge, he rang, he rang, <clears throat> frantically telephoning the bridge, he rang the phone three times. The other end of the line said, what do you see? An iceberg dead ahead! At 23 knots, the Titanic had approximately 30 seconds before a collision was imminent. First Officer Murdoch picked up the phone to the engine room and ordered, Hard starboard! Reverse engines! Hard starboard! Reverse engines! At the last moment, as it looked as though they were going to miss the iceberg, there was a deep ripping, grinding sound from the belly of the Titanic. Unknown to anyone at this point, the iceberg had ripped a hole a quarter of an inch, running nearly one-third of the ship's length. It came to a dead stop on the iceberg. Captain Smith came in wanting to know what happened. He sent the ship's carpenter and the ship's designer to assess the damage. Reports started to come in from the mail room, the cargo room, and the boiler room. They were taking on water. Just before midnight, the designer of the ship came back with this report. The hull is ruptured, and the watertight compartments will not contain it. This ship will sink. How long do we have? asked the captain. An hour, maybe two, no more. The word of God says it's appointed unto a man once to die and then the judgment. At this point, Captain Smith, the ship's designer, and J. Bruce Ismay were acutely aware, acutely aware that the ship's lifeboats only had capacity for half the passengers. On the outside, there appeared to be no damage, but on the inside, the ship was mortally wounded. Jesus said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but the inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. When the Titanic struck the iceberg, she came to a complete halt. There was ice on the deck, incredibly. And some of the first-class passengers were so amused with the whole thing. It is reported that they were picking up chunks of ice and putting it in their drinks. And I will say to my soul, the Bible says, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? The third-class passengers were the first to know. But there was no public address system, there were no alarms. And because most of them spoke different languages, there was total chaos. They were doomed in a dungeon of despair with no way out. Different languages, total chaos. Reminds me of the Tower of Babel again. At 12.10 a.m., Captain Smith ordered the wireless officers to send this message, the distress call. Quote, 
SOS. Require assistance immediately. Struck an iceberg, 41 by 46 north, 50 by 14 west, sinking. At this point, the first-class passengers were being ordered to put on their life jackets and report to the deck immediately. Incredibly, many refused, thinking it was a joke, some thought it was a drill, and others were sure that there was no way that this ship could sink. I'm reminded, I'm reminded of many men who live like they're never going to die, living in denial. Matthew twenty four forty four, For this reason you too be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. The first few lifeboats were only partially full. People refused to believe that the Titanic would sink. By 12.30, April 15th, the forward compartment was so flooded, the ship began to tilt downward, and minutes later, they began to fire the distress rockets. Now they were all believers. They all knew what distress rockets at sea meant, and at this point, mild confusion became total hysteria. Can you imagine what the remaining 1,500 people must have been thinking when the last lifeboat was launched? How important was the stock market then? Jesus said, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Do you understand that for these people now it was too late? It was too late to read their Bibles. It was too late to go to church. It was too late to forgive their brothers. It was too late to make it right. It was too late to live their lives for what was really important. The Bible says, No man knows what a day may bring forth. Today is the day of salvation. At 2.20 a.m. on April 15th, 1912, the HMS Titanic sank 12,000 feet below the surface, three miles to the, to the bottom of the ocean, taking 1,500 people to their death. <clears throat> Ironically, all the while as they sank, the Californian, i.e. her savior, was in view less than 20 miles away. Was it an act of God, the foolishness, the foolishness and the pride of man, or both? <clears throat> there were 16 lifeboats. The ship was licensed to carry 3,500 people. That would mean in the case of disaster, 2,300 people would be left to die. The Tower of Babel all over again. The Tower of Babel represented the pride of the human heart to accomplish anything apart from God. Not including enough lifeboats. Not including enough lifeboats was a clear statement that man believed he had overcome the forces of nature. This story provides a striking illustration of much of the church today. The church, in large part, resembles more of a social club on a cruise ship than on a battleship, armed to the teeth, 
armed and ready to storm the gates of hell at a moment's notice. They were so sure of themselves and their vessel. The owners rejected the designer's advice to include 48 lifeboats. There were no lifeboat drills. Many of the crew didn't even know where they were or how to deploy them. There are many people in the church today who think they are saved when they are not. Jesus warned us in many different ways of the tares and the wheat and the dragnet. In Matthew 7, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Of the 16 lifeboats that were in the water, many were only half full. One of the reasons for that was, initially, many people refused to get in, refusing that this ship could actually sink. Many people think this world is unsinkable, and many think they live. Many live like they're never going to die. 2 Peter 3.5 says, For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. Verse 7, But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of, of ungodly men. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for the hastening, the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat? The psalmist in Psalm 39 verse 4 said, Lord, make me to know my end. And what is the measure of my days that I may know how frail I am? Indeed, you have made my days as hand breaths, and my age is as nothing before you. Certainly, every man at his best state is but vapor. In Psalm 90.12, the psalmist prays to God and says, So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Saints, what are we here for? Why did God create us? That we might be a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people for God's own possession, that we might declare the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. You, if you are a Christian, are an ambassador for Jesus Christ, the highest 
ranking representative from one kingdom to another, and you've been given a message. You've been entrusted with the secrets and the mysteries of the universe. Going back to the Titanic of the 16 lifeboats in the water, they could hear the cries for help, but no one would go back to help them. Eventually, one boat did, and that at gunpoint, but it was too late to save anyone. If you are a Christian, you are in the lifeboat. Many in the water could have been saved that day if only those who were saved would have done something to help. Only one of the lifeboats went back to see if they could rescue people in the water, but it was too late. Do you know how to deploy the lifeboat of God's Word? Can you open a Bible and show someone what he needs to know in order to be saved? Only one man that we know of, John Harper, was sharing his faith while that ship was going down. He was a preacher. Southern Baptist Convention recently released a poll that stated that 95% of people who call themselves Christians have never even attempted to lead another person to Christ, and 71% of them think it's wrong to interfere with another person's belief system all the while he's drowning. There were warnings of icebergs all around them, and nobody seemed to care. Like the icebergs that represented imminent danger, many in the church failed to recognize the signs of our times. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees for not recognizing the signs of the times. In Matthew 16, the Pharisees and the Sadducees came testing him and asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. Jesus answered and said, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites! You know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. Friends, the signs of the times are all around us for Jesus' second coming. Jesus in Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21 said, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. And I am at the very doors. Jesus said that that day would be just like the days of Noah. Men were eating and drinking and giving in marriage. In other words, they were completely oblivious to what was going on around them. They were so consumed with the things of this world and the pleasures of this life that they missed the coming of God. I think of the Pharisees. The strongest words that Jesus had were for the religious leaders. Not because they were so far from God, but because they were so close. And they missed it. Jesus said that one of the signs of the last times would be that the gospel would be preached in all the world. Wycliffe Bible Translators now says that they can see the light at the end of the tunnel when in the next 10 years they will have a portion of Scripture translated in every language on earth. Jesus said another sign of the times would be that there will come a day when those who kill you think that they do God a service. Does that sound like anybody that's been in the news? 
Jesus said you would hear of wars and rumors of wars. Jesus said there would be natural disasters and lawlessness would abound and the love of many would grow cold. I believe we live in the most supernatural time since the first century church. It's absolutely supernatural to me that millions and millions and millions of women can murder their unborn children while in their wombs and think it's perfectly natural. The New Testament tells us that in the last times, difficult days will come. That there would be a great falling away from the truth. That men would pay attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Today, the churches think nothing of, many churches think nothing of ordaining homosexuals. False doctrine, denying the deity of Christ. A large percentage of pastors don't believe in the basic pillars of Christianity. Oh, we live in supernatural times. There's been a great falling away from the truth. The largest television ministry in the world says that sin isn't our problem, it's a lack of self-esteem. Before the Titanic hit that iceberg, the captain was sleeping. The man in charge did not know how to handle the situation. He panicked. He gave the wrong order. He said, hard starboard, reverse engines. By reversing the engines, the rudder was far less effective and its turning power was greatly diminished. Sort of like driving in snow. You can't brake and turn at the same time. Like the radio man, we don't want to hear negative things. We're too busy with the message of the world. Like the Titanic, we don't want to change our course. There are so many parallels between today's church and the Titanic. It's, it's striking. It's unbelievable. I don't have time to go through the dozens and dozens that I discovered. There were four funnels. Four chimneys, smokestacks. Only three of them worked. The fourth was simply for aesthetic purposes. The fourth was a fake. It looked just like the other three. But it provided no power. It served no purpose. I'm reminded of Jesus said, Jesus' parable about the tares and the wheat, both being in the same field. Tares look just like wheat, but they're actually poisonous grass. There's no nutrition in them whatsoever. Jesus was talking about the church. I want to leave you with this thought from Jeremiah 7.23. But this is what I command them, commanded them saying, Obey my voice and I will be your God and you shall be my people and walk in all the ways that I have commanded you that it may be well with you. Yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but followed the counsels and the dictates of their evil hearts and went backward and not forward. What does your Christian life look like? Are you arranging deck chairs on the Titanic, a sinking ship? My friend, if you're listening to this message, I beg you to turn off your television set Turn on the Word of God. If you go to a church where they don't teach the Bible, saturate that place with your absence and find a church where the Bible is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide between soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Get 
right with God. God bless you. Thanks for listening.